Well, good morning. Welcome to Mercy Hill Church. We're glad that uh, you were able uh, to come and join us here today, whether in person uh, on this beautiful day. Um, balmy inside again, but not as bad as last week. Uh, but then also for the people that are able to join us uh, online at this time uh, to worship with us, celebrate communion uh, and the like. Um, I'm not sure how this morning is going to go, <laughs> honestly. Like, like I've got the announcements here and I've got the message here, but, but even as we're in worship, like, um, we'll just see. <laughs> but I want to start off, like this week has been such an amazing week. Uh, men's group on Tuesday um, was probably one of my favorites ever, like Christian experiences. Like it is it's hard to do a top 10 list because there's so many, <laughs> but um, it was beautiful to me. Uh, we started off, we meet uh, at 630 uh, at Dale's house for the men's group and we get into the Bible study and he brings us into uh, Ephesians chapter 4 uh, and kind of talking about the unity of the body of Christ, but being equipped for the work of the ministry, uh, that the leaders equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And as the, the saints are faithful to do that work and ministering to one another through the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he leads us uh, that the church then is built up uh, into that full maturity in Jesus Christ. Uh, and so the truly healthy church is one where we're ministering to one another. Uh, and so we had this amazing, uh, you know, hour and a half, two hour conversation going into these passages and these verses and challenging one another and encouraging one another and, and asking the question, like, like if we see that the Bible says that the Spirit of God equips us to do the work of the ministry, then, then why don't we do it more often? Uh, and so that was kind of our, our conversation that we were having. And then uh, as usual, as we wrap up, we, we kind of go into prayer requests, who has prayer requests, um, and this particular night, uh, there was a, a young man, um, and I'm not going to mention names, uh, but he uh, came to faith probably seven weeks ago, eight weeks ago, something like that. Um, and he had this prayer request because uh, as he's been doing that, he has been uh, experiencing forms of spiritual har harassment. Um, he had done some things in his past that kind of opened a, a door for that type of harassment. He was uh, experiencing like a, a dark sensation within his own home, uh, feeling things like that and just wanted prayer and, and then advice like on, you know, if you guys could pray for me on that. And then Joshua, if you're, you're willing to like maybe come out to my house and like teach me how to like pray over my home. Um, so we just had this, like, amazing conversation, right, uh, of, like, equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. There were 17 men there uh, at the Bible study. And as, yeah, right? It was amazing. And then as he's saying this, I'm like, all right, let's do it today. Like, like he's having trouble sleeping. He wakes up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Like, okay, like. Let's let that stop. Like, let's have him have a good night's sleep tonight. <laughs> like, 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 oh, yeah, let's schedule it for Thursday, you know. Um, and so I'm, I just felt led to be like, all right, who wants to go? Ten guys raised their hands, you know. And, and so we kind of ended uh, the study. Uh, we had a little conversation afterwards about how we were going to 
go over to the house. We're going to put on some worship music. We're going to walk around and, and pray, uh, worship, and acknowledge who God is and, and not go in there in our own strength like, yep, we're 10 men coming in. Like, we're going to, like, clear every. It's no, like, let's spend time in the presence of Jesus, acknowledging who he is, that he's our strength. Uh, and then we're just going to listen to the Lord and pray how he leads us uh, to pray. Um, and it was amazing because uh, we got together, 10 of us, uh, in the kitchen area uh, of, the, uh, of his house. Um, and just a number of us had things that we felt like the Lord had kind of put on our hearts um, and we began praying for. Uh, and it's just a phenomenal aspect of like, all right, who wants to go you know, to this guy's house at 9 o'clock at night in, in a 20 minutes away? Uh, and I think most of us got back around 11.30 at night. Um, and I wanted to share that because, like, it's this amazing thing happening within the men's group. Uh, but also, I'm going to put the men on the spot here a, a little bit. Do any of you want to share, you know, something that you learned or that you experienced or were encouraged by or strengthened by through that, that kind of experience? So... If not, that's okay. I'm not, not going to put the spot on you for too much longer. You want to come up, Sal? Yeah, I got the. See, I didn't say anything about the microphone. <laughs> but again, we want to maybe avoid some names, um, but just kind of how God spoke to you through that. Well, I've been, I haven't been to a church for quite a while because of. Uh, some of the things that I have seen happen in the Christian community and um, Jen had told me about this church and so I figured I would give it a try and I knew I wanted to be involved in a church but it's I needed to be involved in a church that was truly for God and not for man and so then I wanted to go to the men's Bible study to, to learn more and at the men's Bible study um, I felt truly convicted and knowing that this is the church mm. and God wants me here Good. and that he wants me part of this. Good. We're glad to have you. So that's what I had right, great, <laughs> as my great. message. All right. Well, thanks for sharing. Anybody else in a, in a way that you were encouraged, stretched, challenged? We'll just take another moment in case. All right. Dan. Go stand on this side. You don't have to come up if you don't want to. Uh, the men's group. Um, I haven't been coming to church that long, but it's changed my life. Um, I'll be quiet. Especially the men's group. Um, one of the things that God has really put in my heart lately, and it's a big part of that Bible study, and it's a big part of the book I'm reading, um, on the Holy Spirit. Um, and one of the things he's really convicted and shown me this week is how much we are supposed to be part of the church and why we're not. Um, right now, the church is so divided. Wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. Vote for him. Don't vote for him. One of the things this book that I'm reading talks about, and I was a mechanic for 40 years, so it really spoke to me. It talks about the fruit of the spirits being a relationship, a bunch of tools, um, whether it be patience, love, kindness, 
Um, everybody in the church, it's all about relationships. Um, and what this Bible talks about is without the fruits of the Spirit, we can't have what the church needs. Right. Um, it talks about trying to do it in our own. We can't do it. We need the Holy Spirit with us to give us them fruits so that there is no friction. It talks about oil. It talks about the fruits of the Spirit being oil and the friction that builds up and you can't deny that there's a lot of friction in the church right now. Not specifically this church. I love this church. Um, but just the church as a whole, there's so much friction right now. And if everybody just would put all that stuff aside and focus on God, focus on the Spirit, I know for a fact that people <laughs> life changing and it will be. Yeah. Things life changing. I was there Tuesday night and it it changed. Life changing. Any men that haven't been there and thought about coming, I really invite you to come. It's been great. Um, no matter where you're at in your walk, come, please. Thanks, Dan. All right, last call. Maybe this is the wrong context, wrong kind of building to say that in. But all right, uh, yeah, it was it was just a, an amazing night uh, to see people step out in faith uh, in situations that they weren't necessarily um, comfortable <laughs> being in or, or have ever done before. Um, but the fact that we were doing it together um, was, was just phenomenal. And so uh, I encourage you, uh, this aspect uh, of church is not just this. Like, like this is a chance here for us to, to kind of come together, to, to kind of worship, uh, to look at the Word, to, to, to be fed in a sense. Uh, but if that's all we ever do, and we don't go out and actually be the church in, in our communities uh, in our relationships with one another, then, then this is all we have. A, a Sunday morning club where maybe we'll get coffee again, maybe we won't. Um, but we come and hang out for two hours and then we go on through the rest of our week versus seeing like God actually move in our lives, bring healing, bring conviction, uh, bring change and power in the way that, that we uh, address our lives and the way that we live. Uh, while we were there, um, and, I, and I love this picture, while we were there, um, one guy, when we were in the, the kitchen, and we're, we're sitting there, and we're talking, and uh, he just uh, had this sense of um, like a, a dark being in one of these rooms, but that it was cowering in the corner. And, and it, for me, as soon as he said that, it was almost like this, this picture of like we had 10 men come to spend time in worship, seeking the glory of God, bringing the light of the gospel into this area. And, and then we were just all over the house praying and, and carrying the presence of God with us. Um, and in the light, the darkness, there's no place for it to hide. Uh, and so that aspect of cowering and is just a reminder of who we are in Christ and, and what we're called to do. 
Like, we're not called to just be these little survivors that all we do is endure until Jesus comes back. And I think we often get into that mindset as Christians. Life is hard. We live in a world filled with darkness and people that don't have hope. And we find our jobs difficult. We find our family relationships difficult. We, we find the changing culture difficult. We worry about what the future might bring. And so we almost get into this survivor mentality of like, let me just kind of hold on Sunday from Sunday, morning devotion to morning devotion, uh, and just kind of like make sure that I have a house, uh, roof over my head, food, and, and just kind of survive until Jesus comes back. But as we've been going through these series, we, we, we see that we're called to be more than conquerors. That our weapons of warfare are not of this world, but for tearing down of strongholds. And how often do we live that way? I was just challenged the, the other day. Um, somebody sent me a message uh, from the church um, of, of a sense that uh, Jesus is coming back soon. Uh, and I, this is not the first time that I've heard that. And we go through year of uh, 2020 and, and how many people are feeling like, yeah, Jesus could be coming back soon. We see the messages, we see the videos. Uh, and to be honest, um, because I've heard it so many times and multiple people sending me videos and like, have you checked this out? Like, I think Jesus is coming back soon. That I, I, I recognized uh, with this last one that was sent to me. Uh, my initial response was, well, in Scripture, Jesus said he was coming back soon. A and so for 2,000 years, we're supposed to have this mentality that, that Jesus is coming back soon. I, I mean, think about it. Can anybody think of a passage that says that it's going to be a while before Jesus comes back? But instead, what passages come to your mind? I didn't have time to, like, pull these out, so I need your help this morning. What are some of the passages that come to mind? Like a thief in the night, absolutely. Today is the day of salvation. Anybody else? At the hour you least expect, right? You got the, the parable um, with the lamps and, and waiting for the bridegroom to arrive. Right? It's not like after a long while or after, after, or <laughs> whatever it might be that he's going to come back. Y you've got the, the guy who's building a barn to like put his storehouse into. And, and he gets there and he fills it up. And there's this parable where Jesus says that night he died and all of his work was in vain. And so there's two aspects here, right? We don't know when, when Jesus is coming back. We also don't know when our time here is done. But what really struck me is when this person sent me this message about this, this feeling of Jesus coming back soon. My mind just goes back to, yeah, they've been saying that for 2,000 years. As a church, we're, we're supposed to have a mentality of Jesus is coming back soon. But do we? Do you? Because I realized I haven't. I haven't at times. Because where I've been going back to is these verses where thief in the night. It's happening soon. 
Okay. So we're just supposed to live in this concept of constant readiness that Jesus could come back or, or we may die like every day of our life. But do we actually live that way? Like, like this is what I was struck with. For 2,000 years, it was inspired in Scripture for us to live with a sense of urgency, eager anticipation for the soon arrival of Jesus Christ. For 2,000 years, the church has been preaching, look, this is what Jesus said. It's going to happen quickly. It's going to be a thief in the knife. You're not going to expect it at all. And I think we've gone into a sense of complacency at times uh, of easily just saying, well, we're always supposed to have that mentality. Or, or maybe even to the point where we're like, yeah, I've heard that too many times and I just ignore it now. For me, I'm at that point of like, well, yeah, we're just always supposed to have that. But, but then if you take what Scripture has been saying, live as though Jesus is coming back as a thief in the night. You take that and then you look at your life. Do you actually live that way? Do you spend your money that way? Do you spend your time that way? And what would be different? What would we pursue differently? What would be our passions? What would be our hopes? I've been reading a book lately. Uh, actually, just finished it. Uncle Tom's Cabin. I've never read it before in my life. And my wife recommended it to me. Uh, for some reason, my school didn't have it required reading, and I really think they should have. Uh, but reading through that book and, and being challenged in, in multiple ways, um, and especially spiritually, like, like there's so much spiritual content to that book in the way that God has created all men uh, and a challenge about how we weren't living at that way in our country at that time. But, but there's one character in particular, um, and it's the, the aunt of the young girl. And uh, she's talking with her brother. Uh, and, and what he's saying to her is he's like, as I see you live, I see you living in a sense of the heavenly now. The, the heavenly now. And, and really what it was, was like her mindset was, was so set on the kingdom that it formed every decision that she made in the here and the now. And gave her a sense of urgency. Uh, there was another quote, just a, a few pages before that. And I'll, and I'll try and post these pages later on Facebook. If I don't, somebody r remind me where to find these. But, but earlier than that, she, um, she was from the north, had gone down to live with her brother, um, and, and hated the idea of slavery, and he had slaves. Uh, but there's this young girl named Topsy. Um, and she asked if she could own Topsy. And the reason she asked for this was because she was afraid that her brother would die before he set her free. And so she wanted her in order for her to be able to legally set her free. And so she's asking her brother. And her brother's like, yeah, sure. And then he opens up his paper and kind of like settles down into the parlor. And she's like, what? Well, I want it now. And he's like, well, why do you want it now? 
and and these words are like I was on a run actually listening to this book, and when I heard I was I was listening to this section, and, and when she said this, I literally stopped the book, stopped running in order to walk and really think about this. Why do you want it now? And her response was, "Now is the only time to ever do anything." Like just think about that for a second. Now is the only time to ever do anything. In the past, you can't change what's happened. You can't do something differently. But in the now, you can make amends, you can repent. In the now, you can seek for healing. You can't do that in the past. In the future, you can't do anything yet. You can plan for the future, but even in James, where, where James is writing, I believe it's in chapter 3, he's like, uh, don't say to one another, this time next year we're going to do this. This time next year we're going to do that. For you don't know what the Lord has. Instead say, Lord willing, I'd like to do this, and Lord willing, I'd like to do that. I, what a lesson we learned last year for that, Right? Like I had baseball tickets to go see the Brewers beat the Cubs. I was looking forward to that game. And then it didn't happen. And then more games didn't happen. But back to that concept of now is the only time to do anything. And then trying to live in the heavenly now. I think that's a challenge that we all need to face. I think it, that's the case. Uh, this morning's message, we were going to get into um, Samson uh, in chapter 16. Uh, and we were going to kind of look at how uh, Samson was born and Samson was a judge in the nation of Israel uh, and then kind of get into Samson's uh, failings. Uh, and in Samson's failings, he kept going through this circle of problems with women. And, and as he went through that circle uh, of problems, um, uh, just to paraphrase it really quickly, um, there was a point where he was seeing this woman named Delilah, and Delilah kept trying to, to betray him. And we're going to get back to the heavenly now in just a second, but I, I want to set that up with, with some of what we had for this morning. Uh, and so he's seeing this woman, Delilah, really, really likes her. Uh, he goes, the Philistines offer her a ton of money uh, in order to betray him. Uh, and so she's like, oh, what's the secret of your strength? Uh, and Samson in, in chapter 16, uh, he's like, well, if you tie me up with bowstrings, then, then my strength will be gone. And so she ties him up with bowstrings. And he like snaps the bowstrings off uh, and he goes out and defeats the Philistines. She goes back to him, like, really, what's the secret to your strength? And this is a woman he's not married to, that he continually visits. Right after seeing uh, a prostitute, a different woman, in verse 1 of chapter 16. Goes back to her again. Oh, if you tie my hair up into a loom, I'll lose all my strength. He wakes up, he snaps that off, defeats the Philistines again. Goes back to Delilah again. Why don't you love me? Well, if you cut off my hair. 
And, and so our example in Samson here is his hair is cut off. He loses his strength. He's captured by the Philistines. God gives him grace one more time in order to defeat them where his eyes have been gouged out. And he's sitting there. Again, it was one of my favorite stories when I was a young boy because of all the action. You know, and so he's got his eyes gouged out and he's in this temple with all the Philistines and he pushes the pillars down. So the example from Samson that we were looking at here um, is that for Samson, he continued on this line of dealing with sin. He, he continued just kind of, actually it wasn't a line, it was a circle. Seeing this woman that, that he liked and wanted to spend time with. And she betrayed him. And then he would go back. And to be real, he went back to sin. That was an intention of going back to see Delilah. It wasn't this honorable visit where they sat there and had tea and crumpets and called each other. Mr. Samson, I'm so glad that you came to visit. Where is our chaperone? Like, like he went there intentionally to sin. And he found himself in danger because of that. And he would go back again and again and again. And so for him, this cycle of sin and temptation was uh, a circular thing. We're going to get back to the heavenly now. We're, uh, we just got to work through this for a second. And so for us this morning, how often is it the same thing? That we find ourselves where it feels like it's a circle that we're continually dealing with the same thing. We keep going back to the thing that we don't want to go to. And we can feel trapped in that. But what is the truth that we find in Scripture? We're not trapped in a circle. We're not trapped in a cycle. 1 Corinthians 10 says, Whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will always provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. If you feel trapped in a circle and cycle of sin that you feel like you can't get out of, it is a lie. God provides a way out. You feel trapped. Remind yourself, it is a lie because God provides a way out. So then you have to question yourself, why, why am I not looking for or taking the way out? Maybe you actually don't want to walk away from that sin, and so you're not looking for the way out. Maybe you want to try and hold on to some stuff, uh, and so you're not willing to go through the way out. But because of the Holy Spirit, because of Jesus dying for us, we have something that Samson never had. We have the Spirit of the living God, the creator of the universe, living within us and empowering us for everything that we do. If we are his children, if we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we're empowered in everything that we face and everything that we do. Samson did not have that. You read through the passage that the Spirit would come upon him to give him strength to face something but then everything else was in his own strength. And I think too often we try to do everything within our own strength. 
But the truth, again, we find, we have to remind ourselves of this truth. Romans 8, verses 9 through 11. Uh, again, talking about those who are saved in Jesus. You, however, are not in the flesh. Meaning, your life now is anchored in heaven by the blood of Christ, not by anything that you did or earned love or forgiveness, but by the only actions of Jesus Christ dying on the cross to forgive you of your sins, to be risen three days later to give you a path to new life. That's what it's anchored in. Not anything that we have done, simply what he did. So we're not in the flesh. We're not anchored to this world. We're not caught in a cycle that we can't escape because the Spirit lives in us. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. You are not saved. If you are not in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you are on a path to hell. That is where your future leads. But if we have the Spirit of Christ given freely in love through his willful sacrifice on the cross, we find rescue from that. Verse 10, if Christ is in us, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, Let that sink in for a second. For those of you that have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, how often do you live acknowledging what this verse just said? If the Spirit of Him or the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he or God who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Galatians 2.20 puts it this way. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the true spiritual reality for those who have found redemption through Jesus Christ. For, for those who have repented of their sins, of their attempts to try and rule their own lives how they think that it's best, and instead have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ and said, you are my Lord, I trust you with everything, and I give everything to you. I give my identity to you. I give my preferences to you. It's all yours. Samson didn't have that. But we have the Spirit of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead living within us. Which means for us, as we face sin in our lives, it's not this circle that we can't escape, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, it is a line that leads from the point of our salvation to the day that we see Jesus face to face. The Holy Spirit works within us. He convicts us. And as we are faithful to respond to the conviction and submit to the work within our lives, 
casting off every weight and hindrance, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12. He will grow us and equip us and transform us to be more like Jesus day to day. But if we resist, if we ignore that conviction, it may feel like we're in a circle, but it is not. Because of the love of Christ, he will allow you to get to a point of discipline and consequence on this earth so that it brings you to a point of repentance. We will face earthly consequences to our choices. And God allows that to happen in order to keep us moving on this line towards Jesus instead of being stuck in a circle like Samson. At times, it might feel it's impossible to overcome sin. It can feel hard. I love the illustration of, of a horse and the way that a horse, I, I, as a kid, like, I remember watching these Western movies, you know, and the cowboy comes, like, running up to the saloon, and they, they've got the, is it the hitching post uh, outside, and there's the water trough, and the cowboy jumps off, and he just takes this tiny little leather cord, like, swings it around the post one time, like, doesn't even put in, like, a sailor's knot or anything, just loops it around, and then he walks in trusting that the horse is going to stay there. And I remember being a little kid and being like, I mean, this horse can pull how many hundreds of pounds? And, and it's just like this tiny little leather strip. And then, like, the wood looks pretty rickety as well. Like, why doesn't the horse just leave? There's no food there. Like, just leave. But they don't. You know why? Because they think they can't. From the time that they were a foal, being trained, they would be tied to posts. And they would try with all of their strength as a young horse to get away. And they could not. So they got to a point where they accepted within their mind a lie that says, I'm not strong enough to escape this. And then they would grow up into a full-grown horse. And by that time, the lie had been cemented to the point where they're like, there's no even point worth trying. Satan uses the same thing with lies in our life. To try and get us to believe that we can't escape sin, that we cannot escape temptation in our life. And if we've accepted those lies, we're like the horse that's stuck there. Except, again, there's a, a fundamental difference that this illustration cannot even bring into to our understanding. The, the horse was a baby horse that wasn't strong enough, and it, it grew up into an adult horse that would be strong enough, and, and the lie that it's accepted won't do that. For us, it's completely different. For us, we were in the flesh. We were simply human living in our sins, in darkness, without Jesus Christ, without any hope of salvation and our destiny being hell. That's where we were. Having no strength to escape sin, no strength to even know what sin was at times. It's not like we were that simply human that has now grown up into this enlightened human that now knows that God exists. Because if that was the case, we'd still try and do these things in our own strength. 
The truth is, we are no longer simply human. If we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we are no longer simply human, but we are partakers of the divine nature. There's a verse that says that. I do not remember it right now. Anybody have that? Or look it up, because I I want to be able to have people go back and, and find that. But we are no longer simply human. But through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he calls us partakers of the divine nature of God. Ephesians 2 says that we are currently seated with him in heavenly realms, even as we're in this room. And I know I've been quoting that a lot lately, but I think it's because we need to remember that and live that way. The strength to escape the cycle of sin is not even our strength, but now our birthright as a son or daughter of God. He has broken the chain. There is no tether. The only thing that keeps us there is our own deception. The lies that Satan has given to us. And this is where we go back to the heavenly now. We have to live in the heavenly now. Because if we live in the past, lies and shame over things that we've done in the past, or pride over accomplishments in the past, will continue to deceive us. Will continue to to tell us, yep, there's no way out, you're going to fail again. Because you failed in the past. We need to to use the past to inform our present in order to to prepare for our future. We don't want to forget the past and what's happened, but it needs to inform our now So that now we can do and prepare for our future. But we can't live in the future either. Because if we live in the future, then then the fear of failure can come upon us. Maybe I won't be good enough. Maybe I won't be strong enough. Maybe I won't be able to resist this sin in my life. And, And so fear then ties us to that hitching post. And we find ourselves struggling to overcome because we're living in a lie of what the future holds. Maybe we are looking at pride in the future and we're trying to build our own kingdom, our own comfort. And so we pursue that when we don't even know if it's going to exist. Again, we learned that lesson with 2020. Some of us struggle with looking to the future and, and living in fear in the now of what may be. But I also think that a lot of us live in a sense of condemnation and shame from the past. These are the things that I've done. Here's the sin that I've fallen into. And we accept that as part of our identity. And if we accept it as part of our identity, then then we are imagining in our mind a tether to sin that we feel like we're not strong enough to get away from. It's not there. Jesus broke every chain. It's not there. 
But if we live in the past and we're focused on our shame, then it's so easy for us to sit there and, and I have struggled with this so deeply in my life. A, a sense of being a failure of things that I wanted to get rid of and things that I wanted to change and, and never feeling strong enough. And the more that you focus on those things and you meditate on those things and you think about how many times have I failed and, and then you start thinking about the future and, well, if this situation comes up again, I'm going to fail because I've failed. Do you see this web of lies that is like inbreeding within our mind? Th then we imagine that there's a tether that we're not strong enough to overcome. But what is the truth? Again, it is the heavenly now. It is the heavenly now. Because right now, we are seated with Christ in heavenly realms. Right now, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, your sins have been forgiven as far as the east is from the west. In Isaiah, he says, I, even I, blot out your transgressions for my own sake. Do you get that? Like, like God's saying, because you're forgiven, because you're covered by the blood of Jesus, when I look at you, I see what Jesus has accomplished, not what you have done. I'm judging you on what Jesus has accomplished. His perfect life without sin. So if God does not hold an account against us for the things that he has forgiven us for, then why do we do it to ourselves? We hold against ourselves the very thing that God says, I'm putting it as far as the east is from the west. And we carry these heavy burdens of reminding ourselves of how we've failed and it gets heavy and heavier. When Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We need to live in the eternal now. What is the truth of what God has accomplished? Where do you stand with God right now? And take each moment by that. You, you come up to a point of temptation. If you're living in the past, shame that you're carrying might cause you to stumble into that temptation because you feel, I failed in the past, it's inevitable that I fail now. I've had that happen to me. But if you live in the eternal now, I failed in the past, but right now I'm in Jesus and he provides a way of escape for me in 1 Corinthians 10. That's the reality. There is no tether. There is no spoon. It's just gone. We need to understand and live in that eternal heavenly now. As we face temptation, now I'm with Christ. Because now I'm with Christ, I have the strength. Because it's not me who lives, but it's Christ in me. Galatians 2.20. Live in that eternal now. It gives you strength in the now. And the only time to do anything is the now. You can't do something in the past. You can't do something in the future. And so to kind of bring all this, we've been all over the place this morning, and I hope you've been able to, to follow me 
in this. But the sense of understanding that Jesus could come back at any moment, that we are called for the past 2,000 years to be a church that lives, that Jesus could come back as a thief in the night. We need to be convicted if we're dismissing that urgency in our life. If that's the case, if, if you are convicted that we are supposed to live, and I challenge you to go through Scripture, every time it talks about Jesus coming back, it's in the sense of soon or suddenly. You don't know when it's going to happen. So live as though it could be tonight. If that was the case, what would you do now in the eternal now? How would you choose to spend your time? How would you choose to interact with each other? How would you choose to engage with the church to be the light in a world that desperately needs the freedom that Jesus offers? I love men's group on Tuesday because it was a glimpse of that. Oh, you're experiencing oppression now? Let's take care of it now. Who's going? I want to be a church that's like that. What is God calling us to do now? Because if we try and plan out too far into the future, we're going to carry burdens that he may not be giving us. In your own life, if you're facing sin, what can you do now? You can't change what's happened in the past, but you can change now. And when temptation comes up, you can respond in the now. Don't respond in the past. It's a tether that's no longer there. It's a chain that's been broken by Jesus' blood. Respond in the now of you are adopted by Jesus Christ. And it's no longer you who live, but it's Christ in you. That the power that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work within you. And then live with that sense of urgency. It's completely counterintuitive to anything that we've been taught in how to live on earth for a period of time and save up money and expenses and safety nets and future and all these things. It's no longer living according to the flesh. It's no longer living according to simply being human. Because in Jesus, we're no longer simply human. We're partakers of the divine nature. Anybody find that verse out there? Yeah. Second Peter one four. I just wanted to make thank you. I, I wanted to make sure that as I quote that off, I'm not just paraphrasing, I'm not just talking. I, I want it to be anchored in the word of God. We're no longer simply human, but partakers of the divine nature. So the question then becomes for today, where are you now with Jesus? If there's things that need to be changed, the only time to do them is now. And if right now you do not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, right now your destination is eternal hell. 
in punishment for rebellion against the God who created you and against the God who's been calling out to you to come to him. And the only time to do anything about that is now. Because we don't know when Jesus is coming back and we don't know what's going to happen in the next five minutes of our life. We simply don't know. And so with that in mind, uh, as the worship team comes up, uh, I just want everybody to take a a few moments and, and just in prayer be asking God, how do I live in the now? Or maybe ask him, what do you want me to do right now? Maybe it's confessing a, a sin. Maybe it's getting rid of something or, or stopping a habit that you have at home. For some of you, it might be going to Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. But let's just take a few moments uh, as they start to play softly without getting into it. here in this moment, it's now. And and I don't want to go beyond this moment of now uh, without asking if there's anybody here in this room that recognizes now I need to respond to Jesus. Now I need him to be my Lord and Savior. Now I need to set aside my life, my preferences, to repent of trying to do it on my own and say, I need Jesus for everything. If you're here this morning and that's you, please raise your hand. Just keep it up for a second. Father, we see these hands. And Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit working in our hearts. Lord, we know that all of that work is accomplished by you, that only you can change us, only you can transform us. And that we try to hold on to things, we accept the lies that keep us tethered, or or maybe we just haven't been transformed yet by your blood. And so, Lord, we pray for those who have raised their hands that you would work mightily in their lives. That as you rescue them, you would impress upon them the truth of their identity as sons and daughters of the creator of the universe, that the very spirit that, that rose Jesus from the dead works within them in every single thing that they face, and that they're not alone in this. But in this room, there is a family of brothers and sisters in Jesus, and we want to be the church that works together to your glory, to build one another up to that full maturity. And so, Lord, I pray that you work uh, in their lives. And we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.
I also want to take this moment if there's anybody here that uh, has felt convicted that there needs to be changes within your life. You, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you recognize you haven't been living either in a sense of urgency or there's things that you have felt have been tethered to the past that you need to let go of, that you're not living in an eternal now, and, and you want uh, God's help to live in that truth of the now. Um, if that's you this morning, I want to ask you to raise your hand uh, as well. My hand's raised for this one also. Father, we come to you as a church of imperfect people, redeemed by your blood on the cross, freely given in love for us to purchase a life for us, a life empowered by you. We ask for your forgiveness for when we have allowed the distractions of this world, the shame of the past, or the fear of the future to create lies that tie us back to this world. When you have broken every chain and you have brought us uh, into a sense of adoption, inheritance, and citizenship in heaven so that we, you actually say we are no longer of the world. There is no connection that ties, binds, or captures us. It is all broken in the name of Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray for those that have their hands raised. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would break off shame, that you would break off condemnation. I pray that you would break off fear and that you would give us the peace that transcends all understanding as we simply live in a heavenly now focused on the truth of who you are, what you've done for us, and who you've created us to be so that we face anything that comes in a sense of your presence and empowerment. And we look back on anything that's happened in the past with the freedom that forgiveness from the judge of heaven can only give. Lord, we trust for you to work in us, to build us up to the unity and the maturity of Jesus Christ. To you be the glory and honor forever and ever. Amen.